This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Pain Show. I am so thrilled today because I am sitting across from Jamie Ivey, which I feel like she needs no introduction. If you listen to podcasts, which you're listening to a podcast right now, you know who Jamie Ivey is. But I'm sure there is some person somewhere who doesn't know your whole story, doesn't know all the facets of who you are. So I'd love for you to just take a few minutes to tell us about yourself. Well, thanks, Crystal. I'm so happy to be here in your podcast studio face-to-face. Like, that is so fun right now for me. Um, So I live in Austin, Texas with my husband, Aaron, who is a pastor and a songwriter and a worship leader. We have four kids. My oldest is 16, so we're writing the same. same, But my youngest is 12. So I have four kids between 12 and 16, which means our house is... It, here's the good thing is we're all almost watching the same movies, if that makes sense. That's so nice. And that's a nice thing. Yes. That's a big deal. So I have three boys, 16, 15, 14, and then a 12-year-old daughter. Three of our kids joined our family through adoption, which is how I have four children <laughs> in four years. I only birthed one of them. And I'm a podcaster, like you said. I, I host a show called The Happy Hour. And I also host another show with my husband called On the Other Side. So I'm now hosting two shows and an author and a speaker and I love breakfast tacos in Austin, Texas. <laughs> and this is your second book, is that correct? It is my second book, yes. Okay, and it's called UBU, Why Satisfaction and Success Are Closer Than You Think. And I'm just I'm just going to be real honest right from the get-go. When I saw this book, like I love what you're doing online and I'm, I've been very familiar with your work for a long time. I listened to the audiobook of your other book and I wanted to read this book. 
But the title, I was a bit of a cynic. I was like, oh no. Here we go. It's one of those other, <laughs> one of those books, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You be you. You can hustle. If you hustle hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. And I was pleasantly surprised. It wasn't anything like that. In fact, you kind of address that right from the get-go. Yeah. Talk about why you titled the book this and what your message is kind of the overarching message for this book. You know, it's interesting. We tackle that in the very first chapter because I knew that was going to happen. But I'll tell you what, Crystal, this is funny. The title UBU, I think because I sat with it for so long and I just love it. After you read the book, I, th- I think the title really makes yes. sense. Mm-hmm. I had someone just recently say, what is this book about? Because this sounds kind of just like what you said. And so I was got to tell them about it. The reason I titled it UBU is because I see a lot of women right now, and I'm sure men struggle with this as well, but I'm a woman. So here we go. I see a lot of women thinking if I could just be like her, like if I could have her gifts, if I could have her talents, if I could have her influence, if I could have her kids, her family, her job, whatever, then I would feel satisfied. Then I would be successful if I could be like her. And so the message I want to say is I want you to be you. Mm -hmm. I want you to be the woman that God created you to be. I want you to do the things that he has ready for you to do. And I want you to serve him in the life that you have right now. So that is the message of this book. You be you. I want you to be the person God made you to be. And the reason I wrote it, honestly, is because of all of those things that you thought the book was. Mm -hmm. I was seeing this trend in women thinking, if I could just do what she does, or if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps, I can be successful or just work harder, hustle, 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 be better. And I am a hard worker and I, I want to be successful in everything I do. But I started to see that women were building those those thoughts, like you can do this, you control your destiny, you can do whatever you want to do, you make everything happen. And I was like, oh, as a woman of faith, I can't actually stand on those things mm-hmm. to be true. But what I can stand on is that God is the one who empowers us. Like God is the one who gives us talents. God is the one who puts things before us. So I hope this book is an encouragement to women that they actually have things prepared right before them for them to do, and they don't have to look like her. And it says why satisfaction and success are closer than you think. That's the subtitle. I'd love for you to define satisfaction and success, because I think those are two words that they could mean a lot of different mm-hmm. things to a lot of different people. Yeah. What, what is satisfaction and success to you? Satisfaction is also a word that I think about being content. And mm-hmm. content to me, maybe because I've grown up in the church my whole life, it feels churchy to be like, are you content with where God has you? But it's true. Like, I want to be someone who's content with my life. And so to me, that means satisfied. I want to be satisfied with the life. And in the book, I mean, there's a whole chapter on tragedy because I think that we can actually walk through difficult times. We can have tragedy enter our world and still be satisfied in our life. And that is a hard thing to hold on to and grasp. But I've seen people do it. Like, I've seen people look at their life and the, you know, so to say, the cards they've been dealt, whatever you may think that to be, the way God has created them. And go, I'm still going to be satisfied with the life God's given me. And so I want to be satisfied with where I am. And then for me, success, like I said, I want to be a successful podcaster, a successful author, a successful wife and mom. I want to be successful in everything. But I really think that there's this idea that if we chase what the world says is successful, then we'll get it and we'll be satisfied. And I found personally in my own life that once I got there, it, there, was, another, there was another mountain to climb. There was another thing I had to be successful at. And so I think that you can be faithful 
in what God's asked you to do and find that success right there. So big words, sometimes words that are weird within church too, like, oh, you're a woman, you want to be successful. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think that we can, I think that we can with, when we look at what God's done for us, both of those things can come together well. And you talked about wanting to be successful as a wife and mom. And yet in your book, you, you kind of tackle something that can be a little bit slightly controversial, at least if you come from more of a conservative background. You said your highest calling in life is not marriage or motherhood. And while I think a lot of people would say, oh, I agree with that, in how they're walking out their life and what they're kind of holding onto as to show for this is like things are going well because my kids are doing well yeah. or you know I'm honoring the Lord because my marriage is strong or something yeah. like that. And so I think that honestly we can get stuck in maybe we wouldn't say we believe this, but our life and how we're walking it out can kind of show that that is what we're holding as the most important priority. Would you would you say that you've seen that before. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I was telling you, I was like, I don't know if anyone actually ever said these words to me, like from the pulpit or whatever. Like if you're a woman, your highest calling is marriage and motherhood. But I've seen that been played out in mm-hmm. ways. Like for example, I think in churches, we elevate this nuclear family so much that I've had a lot of single friends feel like, I don't know where I fit in. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's really sad because we're looking at a bunch of women on our planet, in our churches, in our communities who aren't married for whatever reason that might be, and maybe don't have children because what if their body just isn't cooperating and they are having a hard time making kids. And I just don't think that they're missing out on the kingdom work because of those things. And so I also saw this is I saw a lot of women have like amazing gifts and talents and serve the church and do things for God and make a difference in their communities. And then they had kids. And the only thing they did was whatever their kids wanted to do, you know, Mm And I'm a mom of four. I know that kids can be overwhelming and they can take up a lot of our life. Believe me, I know that. But I've seen a lot of women pour their entire lives into their children, which again, we're, we have a high calling as parents, but they pour their entire lives. And then the kids turn 18 and the last one leaves the house and they kind of look around and go, well, what do I do now? What's my calling? Mm. What do I do to serve my community, my church, my friends? Because my whole life has been invested in my children. And so it's by no means a knock on mothers or wives. I'm both of those. And I'm so proud of that and thankful for it. But I also want women to really feel like, hey, you have gifts and talents and passions that might not always involve your children. And that's okay. And God can use them. But also, I think it's an individual thing. Like, there's no way I can look at you, Crystal, and be like, okay, your life should look like mine. Mm -hmm. Or you look at me and think my life should look like hers. Like, we have to kind of deal with those things on our own between the Lord or else we're doing the same thing I'm telling people not to do, which is look at someone else's life and want to be there. So I am passionate about that idea because I want women to really truly live freely in what God has for them. And what would you say is the definition of a woman's highest calling? Well, I think that we all, as as a follower of Jesus, I think we all have the same high calling. It's to make him known and bring him glory. Like, because if I can stand on those two things, like for the however many years I have, 80, 43, I don't know. If I can say my highest calling is to make him known and bring him glory, so many things just fall into place through that. Like I do that in parenting. Like that's my highest calling in parenting as a mom is I want to teach my kids how to be great people for their, for their community they live in. 
but I also want to teach them as a follower of Jesus to follow him wholeheartedly with their whole life. So that's a calling there. In my, you know, my professional career, I have lots of things I'll do. But for me personally, at the end of the day, I want to make him known and bring him glory. And so when we can take that as our highest calling as people, it helps all the other pieces fall into place. Mm, I love that. And this segues right into what I wanted to talk about this quote that you have. You said, much too often, I think people try to figure out what God has called them to do without spending any time with him. We expect him to reveal things to us, even though we're not really investing into the relationship. That's powerful. Mm. And I'd love for you to talk to the woman who's listening right now going, I want to know what my calling is and I want to seek the Lord and I want that passion that you have. I want to make him known in my life. I am just stretched so thin trying to be a mom and juggle all these things that I'm overwhelmed. How do I have time to be in God's Word? I totally understand. I mean, I just told you how old my kids are. They used to be five, four, three, and two. Like, I understand what that feels like. I remember when I had little, little kids, Crystal, I would open up the Bible where I wanted to read that day. And we all know what happens when you have little kids. In fact, before I had kids and I would hear a mom say like, I just don't have time. I'm like, what do you do all day? Like, <laughs> they're, just turn the TV. I literally thought to myself, what do you do all day? And then I had children. Um, but I remember when they were younger, I would open my Bible, whatever I was reading, whatever I was studying. And I was fortunate enough at the time to be a stay-at-home mom. So I was home all day with my kids. And I did not have that 45-minute quiet time in the morning like maybe I did before I had kids, or maybe I have the luxury to have now as my kids being older. But I might have a minute and a half before <laughs> they needed something or they called my name mom. But what I did was I just kept that open on my, on my kitchen table all day long. And so it was always there. And so every time I had a moment, I could spend time in God's Word, and it just looked different. And so I think my encouragement, especially to that mom with young kids— is it doesn't have to look like it did before. And it doesn't have to look like you expect and want it to look like, because who doesn't want to sit on their back patio with no humidity, perfect temperature, a nice cup of coffee that you get to drink all in one sitting and read, you know, a Psalms, a Proverbs and a whole chapter of the New Testament. That's a dream life. <laughs> and that's just not how life works. And so I want to just encourage her to not think you have to have that or nothing at all. Like to really see how can I invest in that time today? Because there was a season, my husband, this is where that chapter comes from. There was a season we had to make this really big decision. And I wish so badly that I could have like looked into the sky and seen a sign from the Lord or opened my Bible. And he would have said, yes, I want you to go here, you know, whatever. And it just, that's not how God speaks. But when we are in his word and we know him, I mean, we have the Holy Spirit. It's this gift that He gives us, and that is what helps us. And so for me personally, if I'm not getting to know Him more through His Word, there's a tension of me having a hard time understanding Him or hearing Him or feeling what He wants me to do. And so just to encourage you as a mom listening, you can get that however you can get it, and it doesn't have to look like somebody else. Mm. Again, going back to... You be you. Be you. <laughs> yes. And what does your time with the Lord look like? Now, again, are there like helpful tips? I just gave you one. You know, are there some great practical things or Bible studies you could get? Yes, of course. But at the end of the day, you're the only one in your house. You're the only one parenting your kids with their schedules and their special needs and fill in the blank. Create something that works well for you. Later on in the book, you talk about your talents were never meant for you. And I love how you dug into the story 
of the talents. And you talked about how important it is to be using what God has given us right where we are. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how so often we want to be somewhere that we're not standing on a stage or having a lot of people listen to our podcast or leading a Bible study that is this flourishing, huge Bible study in our local community or traveling internationally. We want to be doing these these big things. But you really talk about how it starts with being faithful right where you are. Can you just unpack that a little bit more? It really does. And I think it's this the whole idea of wanting to be somewhere that you're not. The parable that you're speaking of is in Matthew. And it's a Jesus tells this parable about a master who left town. And he, he gave one servant five talents, which was money in the story. But it, we can use it and think about like, if we're going to apply it to us today, we can think about gifts or influence, power, your voice, whatever it might be. He gave one servant five. He gave one two and he gave one, one talent. And when he came back, the man he had given five came before him and he's like, Hey master, I multiplied my talents. And this, the master's like, good job, you know, go away. Good job. The one that, the one he gave two he comes back. He's like, master, I multiplied my talents. Here's four talents. He said, good job, go. And the one that he gave one talent to came before him and he said, Hey, I didn't do anything. It actually says I was afraid. And so I didn't do anything. I buried my talent. Here's the one talent you gave me. And then the story, the master says some really harsh words to him. Go away. You did not do what I asked you to do. And what we can see from that is that God really wants us to use our gifts. Like he wants us to do things with them. He doesn't want us to just take our gifts and just keep them for ourselves, but he wants us to use them. One of my favorite verses is when Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. And the reason I love that verse so much is because it says, hey, you have good works inside of you. Do them. Do good things. But it doesn't say so that people will give glory to you. It doesn't say so that people will applaud you, so that people will say like, oh, Crystal Bank's amazing. I love her so much. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so when I think about that, I'm like, okay, God gives us gifts. He gives us talents. And that parable, He wants us to use them. It's not just for us to hoard but it's not for us. It's so that others can see how good he is. And so that frees me up a lot. It frees me up a lot to go, okay, I can walk in what God's set before me because it's not about me. It's not about me. And when we go back to that parable, it wasn't about having five or having two. It was about what they did with them. And so there are people who I'm going to look and be like, wow, if only I could be like her, but that's not what God created me. He gave one five and one two. So it wasn't the amount. It was what they did with it. It wasn't the quantity. It was the quality. And I just want to encourage women to do that. Like I have one, one of my, my best friend in the world. Her name's Amy. She has a daughter with special needs who is 17 now. And so years ago, she started using her talent. She's an artist. She's creative. And so she has this program for adults with special needs to create things. She's rocking it. Like I am so proud of her all the time. And she really just said, what has God given me? What's happening around me? And how do I use it for his glory? And she's doing it. You don't know her name. She's not on famous on Instagram. She's not, you don't buy her artwork in Nordstrom, but she's doing exactly what God asked her to do right where she was. And I could not be more proud of her for that. Like, that's what I want women to do. So there's a lot of women that I talk to who they just feel like they look around and they're like, I don't really think I have any gifts to offer. What do you say to that woman? Oh, sister. You have so much to offer. Like, I think if you're here, like you have something to offer. Mm. If you're breathing, you have something to offer. I just told you about my friend, Amy. I have another friend named Christy 
who she loves um, bringing people together and she loves changing the world. And so she does that. She works for compassion. You wouldn't know who she was, but she does that. She does, and she's killing it. My other friend, Annie, who's a writer, she's also a mom to two kids. And so her writing looks completely different, but she's doing everything she can to continue working. And so I always think, um, look around, like look around your surroundings. What is needed in your community? What do you see that needs to be done at your kid's school? What about in your church? And then you have gifts. How can you use them? And, you know, this is another, this is a soapbox I could really get on Crystal, but I think also we have this weird way of evaluating gifts and talents. We wouldn't say this necessarily, but we think some are better than others, Mm. you know? And so if we, if they have the better gift, they must be more loved by God. They must be better used for things, but that could not be more off from the truth. And so I think we also have to kind of dismantle this ideas, these ideas that we have about this equals great. This is better. This is best. And then these down here, Ooh, I hope I don't get those gifts because that's not how God works. Like mm-hmm. he, we need, he needs all of us for the kingdom. And so there's a little dismantling that needs to go on in our churches and in our lives about who has the better gift, mm-hmm. because then it's like this constant rat race to see how do I get to be better like her instead of going, man, what have you given me? Maybe I am good at making crafts. And now I have a daughter with special needs. And so I'm going to create a program for adults with special needs to make crafts. That's amazing. Mm. And that leads right into where you talk about comparison, Mm. which I think when we are unearthing, you know, these gifts that God has given us. And I know for me, it's so easy to look and I'll be like, why can't I just write words like her? Oh my gosh. Why did God give me the gift of this? practical communication. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to write these words that people are just like, oh, yep. you know, that mm-hmm. just make people just their hearts just sing because it's so poetic. And, yeah. and I'm sitting here going, step one, step two, <laughs> step three. Um, but how do we get over? And I don't know that we can fully get over, but how, how do you process through? Because you are very successful in what you do and you found the gifts that God has given you. But I think as you talk about in this book, it's, it's not like you set out to, wow, I'm going to have this big podcast and how, how did you get there? And then how do you keep from feeling either that you're not enough or almost feeling like I'm really something special, (laughs) right? Well, I wish I could do things like you do as well, but like step one, step two, step three, that would be amazing. Um, a couple of things that come to mind when I think about that is number one, I had to really, and I still have to do this all the time. I have to really trust that God is for me. Mm. And I think there's this idea when we start to think God must be out to get me or out to keep his thumb on me, or like he doesn't want me to be, succeed. I had to really start to believe, Hey, God's for me. Like God's created me the way I am for a reason. Uh, I giggle because I have this public platform, a podcast host And I say words wrong all the time. My husband makes fun of me all the time because he'll, he'll say to me, you just made that word up. And I'm like, I know I did. I don't know what the right word is, but this one sounds good. Or he'll say, that doesn't even make sense what you just said. I'm like, I know, but I don't know how to say it. And I'm like, God, why couldn't you have given me a better vocabulary? But the point is I have to trust that God is for me. I have to trust that he really, really does care for me and exactly what I'm doing. The second thing is I talk about Instagram a little bit and we could talk about Instagram. I love Instagram, but it has become a place that is harder for women to not compare themselves Mm -hmm. because of what we see. 
And so I have to really, really force myself to surround myself with real life people. And what I mean by that is if I only communicated or felt community from online, and again, you and I both work online. I love online. It's great. But if I only felt community from there, I wouldn't really know what was true and what was false. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because Instagram is not all true. It's not all false. It's just not all true. Mm -hmm. And so I have to surround myself with real life community who I can touch. And we're in the middle of COVID, so things are different. You, You all know what I mean. But where I can like touch and hug and we can look each other in the eyes and we can talk about hard things because they also are gonna remind me that God is for me, that God is not out to get me, that God is not has his finger on me. And so I think having close girlfriends has been game changer for me, um, for them to be able to encourage me in the season that I'm in mm-hmm. and what I'm doing and vice versa for me to be able to do that for them. So then I'm not constantly looking for that validation online because mm-hmm. it's just not true and it's mm-hmm. not 100% real just getting it there. And so how have you, this is just total selfish question that I'm going to ask here, but how have you developed those relationships with people and gotten to the place where they can maybe call you out when you need to be called out or, or be willing to be honest with you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. A lot of hours, a lot of hard work. In 2011, I went through an intense discipleship class at my church. It was a year long. Mm-hmm. We were paired with a group and some of those girls in that group are some of my closest friends today. Mm-hmm. Not one of them does what I do. Like none of them have podcasts. None of them have public platforms. They're like a gift to me. Mm-hmm. And so we develop those friendships over years. And the, those friendships are so deep that one of them sent me a message this summer and was like, hey, I'm just checking on you because last year you told me that you were going to take the month of July off. And now every time I talk to you, it's in the month of July. And you tell me you're, you've never worked harder than you're working now. So I just want to check on you. And, I, and she said, I hope it's okay that I'm saying that. And mm-hmm. I sent her a message back and I was like, you have every right to say that because we're invested in each other. So those relationships were developed of time, mm-hmm. lots and lots of time. And also all of us looking at each other saying, hey, I love God more than I love you, which means this. I'm going to like speak about him to you. I'm going to speak into you about him. And also we've given each other permission to call things out. And so that's not the first time I've been called out by a friend. You know, I've been called out by those friends a lot and vice versa, because we have this like deep understanding that we're for that person and their growth in the Lord. And we're for them succeeding and being satisfied. And sometimes that is difficult without, I don't want yes men surrounding me. Mm. Like what I mean by that is I don't want people who are always tell me I'm awesome, amazing, and you can do whatever you want. Cause that's just not always true. Like, mm. you know, I'm just not always awesome and amazing. So I need people who will be honest with me about that. And I think that just takes time. Mm. And I love what you said about surrounding yourself with people who love God more than you. Yeah. And so for women who are listening, who are saying, I want those kinds of relationships, you spending time in God's word so that you love God, but then asking him to bring those people to you who love him more than you so that they're willing to have those hard conversations and also constantly point you back to him. Yeah. And it takes time. I mean, listen, if a stranger on the internet comes to me at that kind of stuff, it doesn't mean anything because they don't know me and we haven't spent time together. We don't have this foundation. But when you have those relationships that you've both equally poured into, there's this trust that develops that I don't think I would, I would trade for anything with those friendships. 
I want to talk about the difference between success and faithfulness as we wrap up, because I think this is such a key part of your book. And in one section, you define the difference. And I think it's something that is really important because I think we live in a culture that glorifies success. What's the difference to you when you think of success versus faithfulness? Oh my gosh, do we glorify success? Yes. Like I... I want to get to the top and I want to see how fast I can get there and how good can I be at all the things. And I don't know if you're into the Enneagram at all. Yes. Okay. What are you? I'm an eight. You're an eight. Okay. I'm a six. Um, I'm married to a three. Um, I have a lot of threes in my life. And so I think when you, I'm not an Enneagram expert, so I'm not going to go there, but I do think that there are certain people who tend more to be like, I need to be successful. You know, we won't say those numbers out loud, but if it's you, you know that it's you. Mm. So for me, it looks different with like, what do I want to be successful at? But I think we all have this desire in us to do that. But what I found is that when I would get to whatever I thought would be successful, mm-hmm. there was always a new thing. So you don't ever arrive. Like mm-hmm. that's the problem is you can't ever arrive. I'll give you an example that you'll probably understand as a podcaster. A handful of years ago, the platform I was using to host my podcast, they came out and they were like, hey, by the way, we've been telling you this is the number of downloads you've been getting. JK, it's a lot less. And when I tell you it was a lot less, Crystal, it was a lot less. Mm. And so all of a sudden I thought, I'm not successful anymore because that number was successful. Now I'm this number. And I had this kind of crisis moment of, wait, I thought I was a success. Now I'm a failure. But nothing had changed about my show. Like nothing had changed about my purpose. Nothing had changed about my mission. And so that goal that I was striving for was stripped away from me. And then all of a sudden I felt like a failure. Mm. But what if instead of me looking at that number to be a successful, what if I was like, I'm going to be faithful to this podcast every single time I show up. My goal is to point people to Jesus, encourage and inspire women. If I'm faithful to that, I can end every show. If three people listen or 30,000 people listen and go, I was faithful. Now, I mean, I'm not discounting that I want to be successful, but it's how, if you're basing your whole life on that, it's changing. If I want to be a successful mom, and a successful mom means that when all four of my kids leave the house, they're amazing humans. They love the Lord. They serve in their church. They get married and have kids, and we all vacation once a year in Vail, and everyone's happy. Success, right? But what happens if I pour my whole life into my kids, and one of them goes off and makes some really crappy choices? That could happen. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I wasn't a successful mom? No. So when my goal becomes faithfulness, the outcome is up to the Lord because I'm going to be faithful to what he asked me to do. And you can just fill in the blank with anything. But for me, it changed everything when I thought, okay, if I'm striving for a goal that I might meet, there's always going to be another goal. And what if I never meet it? So I had to have this switch of, here's what I'm going to give you, God. I'm not going to give you my success. I'm going to give you my faithfulness every single day. And that has changed everything for me. Everything. It's changed everything because when I desire that, I can do that, you know, and God is, he is accepting of our faithfulness. Thank you so much, Jamie. That is such a wonderful way to end because I think every day just showing up and being faithful and leaving the results to God. Yeah. So for everyone listening who you're resonating with this and you need some extra encouragement to maybe find your gifts, to step into those gifts and use them for the glory of God, to really live your life with this kingdom mindset that you want to glorify God and make Him known. I just cannot encourage you enough to get a copy of Jamie Ivey's new book, 
UBU, why satisfaction and success are closer than you think. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.